Well, good morning. Good to see you all here. If you're joining us online, good morning to you as well. Um, we're going to be in Nehemiah again today, so if you would, if you have a Bible or a phone or an iPad um, or the Bible in front of you, uh, would you turn to Nehemiah chapter 9? Um, that's where we're going to start off today and uh, spend some time there. Um, but before we dive into that, um, in the summer of 2001, I went to, uh, I spent a summer at the Worcester Christian Children's Home. Um, it looks like Rooster, so you would think you would say it Wooster, but you say it Worcester, which the people in Worcester told me very quickly when I said, yeah, I'm in Wooster, and they went, no, it's Worcester. Thank you very much. I said, okay, you don't know English, but that's good. Um, and I spent my time, I spent about two and a half months there. And if I'm honest, they were some, probably the longest two and a half months of my life. Um, I didn't really know what I was getting into. See, when I, when I worked there, I worked as, um, I don't actually even remember what my position was called, but basically when the, when the kids woke up, I woke up. And when the kids went to bed, I finally got to clock out. Um, and this was a, I lived in the 10 through 12 year old boys cottage. They had house parents who would stay there uh, for two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, and my job was to help them in whatever that meant. And we had about seven boys in the house. Um, all of these boys were there because their home lives were terrible. They had had terrible, um, I'll just say it, they had, they had terrible parents had abusive parents. Um, I, there was one boy that I became rather fond of. Uh, it was about 12 years old, was 150 pounds, and had done $3,000 worth of damage to the cottage. From breaking door jams to punching holes in walls, all of this sort of thing. Um, that summer I learned, um, I learned compassion in a way that I would never have doing many other things but God used that summer to teach me compassion now some of you know me well enough to know that I don't like to mess with my emotions period if I can stay even keel that would be great now some of you are thinking Drew I've seen you stand right where you're at crying on multiple occasions okay yeah I, that's happened too but when it came to compassion I had to grow I had to learn how to be more compassionate because when you're dealing with those when I was dealing with those boys the stuff that they endured at home caused them to act out in all sorts of ways and I had to look at them and see past the kid kicking the door in I had to see past the kid throwing his plate of food on the floor just to get a reaction I had to see past those things and see who they were, see who God had made them to be. But it was a long two and a half months because there's days when I didn't want to. There were days when I looked at them and I just wanted to just shake them, if I'm being honest. But that's partially why they were there, because they had been abused and they had been beaten. And some of the stories are just so horrific that we don't need to share them. Um, and today we're going to talk about compassion, because when we look at Nehemiah 9, the, the party that was happening, 
so to speak, the festival that was happening in Nehemiah 8 as they came back to the law, there's this pivot, and they go from feasting to fasting. And so we're going to look at, um, we're going to actually just start in chapter 9, verse 1, um, and see where we're at. See what, see what the Israelites are doing. So in uh, ver- chapter 9, verse 1, it says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So we see that there's been this pivot. They are now fasting and they're wearing sackcloth and they have ashes on their head. Um, This sackcloth and ashes thing is to kind of talk about the poverty of the soul, to be in despair, to have sorrow. Think about the most uncomfortable wool sweater you've ever worn and then not wearing a shirt underneath it and then wearing it all day. Now we're somewhere in the realm of what this is like. And then think about dumping ashes on your head. For me, it wouldn't be a big deal. Just kind of shake off. For some of you, maybe by hour three or four, a little itchy little um, annoying but the idea was that they would remember their sorrow they would really physically embody the sorrow and the lamenting that they were going through now starting in verse 5 of this chapter it it turns into a prayer and we're not going to read the whole thing i'm going to do some cliff notes of it because it it is wide uh wide ranging as to what Um, They talk about, but we're going to start at the second half of verse five. We'll read just here at the beginning, and it says this Um, As they start their prayer, they say, Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So at the beginning of this prayer, they they rightly put God where he's at, which is the creator of the universe. Um, And we're going to see in this prayer that it starts here, and one could even say that it starts in Genesis, and we're going to actually look at a timeline of Israel's history throughout this prayer. And so they start in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, that God created all of the things and that everything is there because of him and then verses seven and eight we they reference and talk about the covenant made with abram who we know as abraham and this covenant was that they would as long as abraham would follow god that god would make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and if you could count the grains of sand on the seashore that would be how many descendants Abraham would have. God makes this promise, and throughout time, God keeps this promise. They even say at the end of verse 8, you have kept your promise because you are righteous. They're recognizing what God has done throughout the history of Israel. And then 9 through 12, they remember and talk about the Egyptian captivity. Uh, maybe we remember the story that uh, remember Jonah. Jo- they actually Joseph gets sold into slavery, goes and helps Egypt become a superpower, 
in the process he becomes famous in in the land and so then Israel begins to grow even after Joseph dies but the Egypt, Egyptians forget about them so they turn the Israelites into slaves and so they begin to talk about how God remembered and heard them heard their cry when they were enslaved in Egypt and most of us know the story plagues Pharaoh let my people go a Charlton Heston thrown in um, we remember the story that God parts the Red Sea that Pharaoh goes chasing after him the walls of water crash down and Israel is saved Israel is victorious actually God is victorious Israel was just obedient and followed him in 9 that, that's what he talks about in 9 through 12 and they even continue on and say that God took care of them with a pillar of fire to lead them by night and a pillar of cloud during the day in verses 13 through 15 they then reference God coming down to Mount Sinai giving the law giving the Ten Commandments to them and that that was good and that in their hunger he provides manna and their thirst water comes from rocks and God continually takes care of his people however if you grew up in church or Sunday and you, or you had some Sunday school background you also probably recognize that it wasn't all roses for Israel they weren't always the most obedient look in verse 16 with me there of chapter 9 let's read a, we're going to read a couple of verses there in verse 16 again of chapter 9 and it says this it says but they our forefathers again this is the people of Nehemiah's day praying this prayer, referring back. But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God, whom you brought, who brought you out of, up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. So in this process of this prayer, they also just take an honest look at their history. They take an honest look and say, when our forefathers left Egypt, there were actually people who wanted to go back to slavery and actually even asked for it. But then they talk about in verse 17, and we, we will come back to what's, what's in verse 17, but they talk about how God was compassionate and that he was, he was gracious to them. But twice in that passage we just read, they, they reference this stiff-necked, Idea And the image that should pop in our minds is an animal struggling against a yoke. That they don't want to wear this thing or this harness and they're fighting against it. And we see this with Israel over and over, right? And what's amazing to me is that they get out of Egypt. Some of them beg to go back to slavery. But then when they do, Moses, when he goes up to get the, the Ten Commandments, they decide we need a God who we can serve, as if they didn't already have one. 
So if you remember the story, they build a golden calf. And in this prayer, they even reference that they then go, and Israel, this is the God who brought you out of Israel, or out of Egypt, which is just crazy, right? They literally just made this cow out of their earrings, and somehow this cow is the reason that they got out of Egypt. And yet God does not do what I would do. Listen, if I was God, and there's a good reason that I'm not, if I was God, I would have left them there. Like, are you kidding me? Did you see all of those plagues? Did you see all of the things that I helped do to get you out of Egypt? And now you're out of Egypt, you want to go back to slavery, and you have now made a cow that somehow did something in this whole process. If I was God, and again, good thing I'm not, I'd have left them. <laughs> I mean, talk about it, ungrateful. <laughs> talk about spoiled. Those of us who have kids, <laughs> we can also think about if our kids did this, right? Like, what would we do? Um, we might be short a child when it was all said and done. But thankfully, I'm not God. Because God didn't react that way. Instead, Instead, he continues to be compassionate. In verses 19 through 21, they even talk about this, that even in the midst of Israel's disobedience, God doesn't abandon them. They're still wandering through the desert. God still keeps the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire in front of them, still continues to provide food for them, still continues to provide water for them for 40 years in the desert. Their clothes don't wear out. Their feet don't swell from the walking. I mean, at minimum, I would have cut off dessert or something if I was God. And God's like, no, I'm just going to continue to love these stiff-necked, rebellious, disobedient people. And eventually, in verses 22 through 25, they talk about how they move into the promised land and that God helped them win victories over their enemies, and they move in. But... 26 through 28. There's always a but, right? Israel is back to their disobedience and rebellion. They're back to turning their back on God because this is a cycle. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this cycle over and over and over again of, God, we need you. God bails them out. God, we could do this on our own. No, God, we need you. God bails them out. No, God, we... And it just goes over and over and over, even to the point that they turn their back on the law. So remember, for those of us who were here last week, when we were looking at Nehemiah 8, they were re-celebrating finding the law, right? They turn their back on the law, and they kill the prophets that God sends to them because they are stiff-necked. And so they, God hands them over to their enemies as punishment. But then, as their enemies are cruel to them. God hears their cries. He has compassion on them. And so he helps them once again. And over and over and over, this happens. They pray for God to come save them, and God saves them again. And now, in this prayer, the people of Nehemiah's day are praying for God to do this once more because they find themselves as slaves again. Even though they're in their own, their own uh, country again, they find themselves 
as slaves. And so at the very end of um, Nehemiah in verse um, 37, they say, they, being those around them, rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. So they call out on God. But as they do, they've told, they've told the story roughly from Genesis to somewhere around 1st and 2nd Kings that are the things that they mention in this prayer. One, it's teaching the community that God has been faithful through all of this. But two, they're helping God as if God needs the help. Remember that he's compassionate. Remember that he has uh, taken pity on them before and they need him, want him to do that again now. And so when I, when I listen to that prayer, when I read that prayer, and even when I think about the, the Israelites in general, I think to myself, you bunch of idiots. I mean, you guys are dumb. Over and over. Like, give me the Red Sea parting. I want to see that. Like, don't waste it on those people. Or I want to see the pillow of fire at night. I want to wake up and my food and food be on the ground and I don't have to do anything. Maybe Snickers, but manna would be fine. I want to see those things. I want to see the rock with water coming out of it. And I, I, you idiots! How could you not? And then I sort of have to stop and go, oh man, like I'm that idiot. I didn't get to see the great miracles, but the cycle of Israel isn't a whole lot different from my own cycle of where I follow God. Then I get stiff-necked. I don't like the harness, right? I don't like the, the reins that are trying to that I think are being put on me. I want to shake those off, but then I'm begging God to help me out again. And then in his compassion, he does. And it's good. And then I go through that cycle again and again because I recognize that the, when I look at scripture, the scriptures is a mirror for me to look at my own life and go I didn't get to see the Red Sea but I've gotten to see God do work in my life I've gotten to see God do work in people's lives so I'm just as much an idiot as Israel is but the, the amazing thing, the thing that I want us to just hold on to today it comes from verse 17. And they say in verse 17, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You're a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. And this is actually quoted from Exodus 34. So if you have um, a Bible, a phone, whatever you're using, if you would, Please turn to Exodus 34, because I want us to read this in context. This is one of the more quoted verses in all of Scripture. Not full quotation, there will be bits and pieces, um, but this is something important for us. Because as the Israelites of Nehemiah's day are reaching out to God and showing and asking for his compassion once more, it's because they know that God at his core is compassionate. And the question we might want to ask is, why do they know that? Well, one, he's proven himself, but two, he actually said it. And in verse, in uh, Exodus 34, 
there's this this moment where Moses has to go get new commandments again. He broke the last ones because he came down and the idiots made a cow. And he just went, uh, what? And so he goes back up, but in that moment, he tells God he wants to see his glory. And so God agrees. And so then Exodus 6, this is what it says. And it says, he passed, he being God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Let me read that again. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This isn't just the Israelites of Nehemiah's day, the Israelites of any piece of the Old Testament saying this. This is God himself saying this is who he is. That he's compassionate, that he's gracious, that he's slow to anger, and that he's abounding in love. And it's important for us to know this because we need to know who, it, who the God is that we're following, the God who we're serving, the God who created us. It's important. Clearly, it was important enough for Nehemiah. And, and the Israelites to pray that prayer which hinges a lot on this idea so for us as a people many thousands of years later it should be important for us to know who God is as well but maybe some of us already know this John 3.16 spells it out pretty, pretty well right that God loved the world to send his son to have compassion on us to to help us in our situations to overcome our sins. And so the question I, I think I want us to ask now as we think about this is what do we do with it? Great, God's compassionate. So what? First thing I want us to know, if you don't, is that you are never too far gone. If nothing else, this prayer should tell you that you, no matter what it is you've done in your life, you are not too far gone from God. Because I'm pretty sure none of you made a cow out of gold and then called it your new God. I'm pretty sure that that hasn't happened. But what did God do? Did God abandon them in that moment? No. Were they punished? Yes. But you're not too far gone. Think about all of the people in Scripture who have done so many things and God still loved them, still showed mercy to them. He was slow to anger and he was abounding in love. I mean, what David, man after God's own heart, the Bible says, adulterer and murderer. Peter. Jesus, I'll never turn my back on you until the night you get arrested, and then I'll do it three times. I'm going to build my church on you. Paul, 
murdering, killing Christians. Because one of the greatest missionaries to ever live. We're never too far gone. And that is, the, in a lot of ways, a lot, piece of the story of Israel. Because they just do this cycle, right? And they go over and over and over. And it's a reminder to us that no matter what you've done, you're not too far gone. The other thing that I think we, that means we should take from this is we must be compassionate. We have to be. If we are going to be disciples of Jesus who then produce more disciples of Jesus, we need the character traits of God and of Jesus in our own lives. We have to. And we're all going to get a really good opportunity to learn this in the next month. When people that we may or may not like will say some things that we may or may not like, we're going to get an opportunity to be compassionate towards them and remind ourselves that they also are created in the image of God. Which is going to be difficult for us. It's difficult for me. But it's what we're called to. We need to be and look like and act like Jesus if we're going to be his disciple. And Jesus was as compassionate as God was. And this, is, this will be our opportunity. It's not going to be easy. I had about three people on the way out of first service went, my toes hurt. I went, yeah, so do mine. When I say these things out loud, I recognize that it means me too. But as creations of who are made in the image of God, we deserve love from each other, and we need to give that in a compassionate way. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're going to be disciples of Jesus. These are the things that we need. And we're not talking about all of that list. We're just talking about compassion today. But we have a God who is compassionate, has been. You've seen it in your own lives. We never get what we deserve. We never get what we deserve. And he shows compassion through that. You know, Israel continues this, this trend. Um, and as I said, I'm, I think maybe some of us do as well. But maybe today is the day that we stop that cycle. Maybe today is the day that we find compassion for those who we don't want to be compassionate to. Maybe we find an opportunity to love those around us not sure how God is challenging you today, but I would love right now uh, just to pray for us um, as we think about these things, as we work on these things, as the Holy Spirit impresses them on us. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you 
for uh, the character that you show, the faithfulness that you show to your people. God, we thank you that you are compassionate. We thank you that you are forgiving, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in love. God, we thank you for all of those things. God, would you help us remember because of those things that we are never too far gone? And maybe some of us today just needed to hear that. Maybe some of us today need to just kind of spend some time with you working through what that means in, in our lives. God, we all need to be more compassionate. So I would pray. God, as we have opportunity, as you present those opportunities to us, Father, that we will follow you and we will make our lives look like yours and your sons. God, help us uh, to be compassionate to those around us. Help us to be like Jesus. Would you give us the courage? Would you give us the wisdom? Would you give us more of your spirit to help us be more like you? God, we thank you for Jesus, for his life, for his ministry, for his example, for his obedience. God, we would just pray uh, that you would um, just hear all these things and give us these things. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.